You're listening to the Boogeyman's Closet Podcast. Explicit language and spoilers ahead. You've been warned. And we are back for yet another episode of the Boogeyman's Closet. As always, I am Mike Alvarez. Morris Hilliver. And unfortunately, uh, Susie is taking a brief hiatus. So for the next several episodes, we will have guests joining us. So we have a guest today. <laughs> it's the Swedish chef. I got read in New York. <laughs> Uh, no, it's me, Josh. Also, the here with the Swedish chef. Indeed, <laughs> because uh, I determined at some point um, that I I wanted to see a Muppet version of this with uh, the Swedish chef replacing Snake Plissken, uh, and it <laughs> to be titled "Escape from Bork Bork." <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing, <laughs> and I would watch the fuck out of that. I would so, bring uh, any of so, those. So yeah, you'll. You'll have to excuse me at points during the movie when I'm like, and this is this Muppet. <laughs> Any of those movies are like that people suggest where it's like replace the cast with Muppets, but keep one person like I would watch any of those. My favorite one was replace the entire cast of Rocky Horror Picture Show, but keep Tim Curry. I was like, uh, yep. yeah, yes, yes, please. I would watch the hell out of that. Watch it in a heartbeat. <laughs> but. We are here for episode 149. As Josh said, uh, it's Escape from New York. We're kicking off our month of uh, uh, against all odds films. So basically films where it's huge odds against our main character. Uh, it's Escape from New York. It's from 1981. Hour and 39 minutes directed by John Carpenter. Don't think we really need to go through his credits, but I'll just mention the things that we've covered on this show with Halloween 1 and 2, The Thing, In the Mouth of Madness, and They Live. Uh, it's really fun early John Carpenter, but let's go around the table and see what everyone thinks. Josh, as you are our guest, it is customary we start with you. What are your thoughts? Now, I have a serious love for this movie. Um, you know, I saw it very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a lot of Carpenter very young, I think probably because my mom also enjoyed it. Yeah. So shout out to mom for being uh, being a Carpenter fan. <laughs> uh, but it was really interesting watching it critically because by no means is it a bad movie. Um, it's written very well, like, but it's very of its time as well. Yes. Like it is, it is a very early eighties action movie and it shows, Mm -hmm. um, my only true critique watching it, like that I couldn't chalk up to just being of the time was entirely based on the fact that I lived in New York for a long time. And there were so many points in the movie where I was just like, ain't no fucking way. This is New York. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but uh but that that aside like i also appreciate you know that it's a fictionalized movie set in new york right uh, but it was also it was also very jarring to see what a prominent role the towers played in the movie yeah uh because i i had genuinely i haven't I hadn't seen it in a long time and i had genuinely forgotten about that and to not only see them throughout like the entire opening of the movie but then to see them play a prominent role in the plot throughout mm-hmm. the movie, it was like, oh, oh, 
well, this is a very dated futuristic movie. <laughs> yep. And that's the thing. There's a lot of movies from the 80s that uh, take place in and around New York where the, the towers play a big role or at least have a prominent scene. Uh, and it's it's always shocking. But, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on this one. Like, uh, when... When he gets in, how he lands on the towers, it's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's 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 rough. I, I don't which think is, we'll ever get over that shell shock. Which is even more shocking, considering you know a hijacked plane crashes into the city in the same movie. Yep, yep. Uh, I, was th- I was thinking that same thing. So yeah, there there were a lot of little things like that that were just like, oh, 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 mm-hmm. oh, that. I mean, by no fault of John Carpenter, it was just like, that didn't age well. Right. Uh, you know, and, and it wasn't a matter of taste. It was a matter of real life. Exactly. Uh, that being that being said, my only real critiques of the movie have, have to do entirely with it being like 80s action with poor lighting. <laughs> yeah. Which I, is just indicative of the times. Oh, yeah. Although I, 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 I have some comments on the sound effects as well. I do need to give a quick shout out to uh, So It's Come to This, because one of my favorite all-time gags, favorite all-time gags that is now gone from The Simpsons is Homer running up the Twin Towers and pausing in between to get the crab juice. (laughs) It's the uh, come kalash. Come kalash. No, only come kalash. (laughs) What have you got to drink in there? Mountain Dew and crab juice. Oh, oh, I'll have the crab juice. (laughs) Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. And, you know, it's one of those things that just like for for understandable reasons, uh, it's it was removed. And uh, it's always made me a little sad because I will always love that crab juice joke. Right. Anyway, that being said, I I, I love the movie. And uh, and while it is a product of its time, man, I still love it. And it makes me want to rewatch L.A. a little bit more, especially especially knowing John Carpenter is just like, it's better than that one. No, watch it when you're older. (laughs) (laughs) I I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, I I definitely will be watching Escape from L.A. probably this weekend. Uh, I, I still, you know, I I. I remember not really liking it, but uh, I'm very curious now because it's been probably a good 15 years since I've seen it. So, but uh, Maurice, we'll toss it over to you. What are your thoughts on Escape from New York? I tried escaping from the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, not a fan. Holy crap. No, I, I, I like it. Um, now, my, my thing is, if you were someone watching it today for the first time, you're probably going to tear it apart but you know but since yeah. it did come out in the 80s you know i'm there's... really because you said that i will mention i'm really really glad i chose to rewatch it on my own today this afternoon uh as opposed to last night with ruth when she suggested it because she's like why don't we watch escape from new york and i was like <laughs> well i want to watch that tomorrow so it's fresh why don't we put on time bandits which it... is you know a, a similarly shot and paced right uh and yeah, she was she was kind of tearing time bandits apart. And I was just like, ah, my childhood. Oh, I like time bandits. <laughs> she had valid points, but even still, you shut your mouth. It's time bandits. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Maurice. No, no, it's cool. Uh, but yeah, like you guys were saying, you know, some of the effects are a little 
wishy-washy now, but you know, for the time, it was really cool looking. And you know, I obviously, I, what year did it come out? Eighty. Uh, eighty-one. Eighty-one. So that was the year I was born. So obviously, I didn't watch it until years later. But I think it was a very, you know, would have been a very enjoyable film back back then. It was highly entertaining, I think, for the time. So. Mm-hmm. Um. But much like uh, Josh said, I, for some reason, I did not get that New York feel. I, and I've only been there once, but uh, something was like, yeah, this isn't New York. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm it like, was, and I, I think it was, where was it, in St. Louis or something? St. Louis, Parts yeah. yeah. Uh, you mean like in Jason Takes Manhattan? <laughs> right. Where it's recorded in Vancouver? <laughs> exactly. Um, but, or was it yeah. Rumble in the Bronx was another one? <laughs> Oh, I don't even know. Yeah, that Jackie Chan. It's it's like all in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, everyone records in Vancouver. Yep. Um, I think it must be a tax break or something, much oh, like yeah. Georgia here. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, I just really like the movie. I haven't watched it in a long time, but and I also was thinking about going back and watching <laughs> Escape from L.A. It's been a long time, man. Yeah, same. I, you know, I, I remember the last time I watched it, my big thing was just like, I want to see it for Bruce Campbell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing I want to say. The cat, the cast in this was great. I mean, it was basically, you know, John Carpenter's like posse. Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> it's yeah. His go-to. They, <laughs> they brought the A game. Like, yeah, <clears throat> I know we haven't even gone over the cast yet, but I, I had totally I think the last time I saw it, I was too young to fully put together who Lee Van Cleef was. Right. And why I knew him. Mm-hmm. And seeing it now, it was even more so. It's just like, holy shit, that's Lee Van Cleef. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's got uh, a big role. Like, I I didn't remember him having such a prominent role in the film. But I'm like, yeah, no, he's, he's pretty prominent throughout. Yeah, I think my mind had uh, reversed him and Tom Atkins. Same, same. Because I remember Tom Atkins more than I remember Lee Van Cleef. But yeah, as soon as I saw him, it was just like, not only is it like the best Western villain ever, but it's the inspiration for Cad Bane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, I, I definitely agree, Maurice. The, ca- the cast is fantastic. What did you think about the, the score? Like, I know it's not John Carpenter, which I was surprised. <laughs> I was expecting Carpenter it, to have done it, but. It was very John Carpenter-ish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really was. It still had that same feel to it. I love yeah. the opening, like the, the opening music that they play during the credits. It has that mm-hmm. weird, like '80s synth. That's like it just sets you up for a good sci-fi action movie. Yeah, it really does. Like right as soon as it kicked in with that, I was just like, "Yep, yep, this is the movie <laughs> I'm in for. I remember this now." Exactly. Oh man! But so overall, you're a fan, Reese. Oh yeah, yeah, I I really enjoy this movie. I uh, I definitely agree with both of you guys. Like this is one of those films I watched a lot as a kid. Uh, me and my brother used to watch it all the time. It's it's one of the action movies I remember informing my play patterns with my GI Joes. Um, I used to to have a lot of like gladiator fights because of the the arena scene in this movie. <laughs> And uh, I remember playing on top of the freezer that we had. We had like one of those big standalone freezers. Um, mm-hmm. I would stand. I would stand on a chair in my kitchen 
and play on that and pretend it was like the rooftop of a tall building and I'd be throwing G.I. Joe's off to the floor. So <laughs> listen, I, I won't lie. I had a moment where, uh, as I was watching it where I was just like, how do I not have a snake minifigure for my Lego city? Ah, that you need one. <laughs> so yeah, now now I need a Lego snake minifigure. I'm pretty sure that that um I forget the name of the company. It's one of those knockoff companies, but they do all the like horror uh, and sci-fi minifigures. Um, I have like a Freddy, Jason, Pinhead, couple minifigures from them. I want to say they have a Snake Plissken. You know, I might have to dig out some Mega Constructs parts because I bet I've got everything I need for Snake. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You can make make a little mega construct snake, just paint on an eye patch. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of this flick. I really wish they had have done uh, the third and final chapter of Escape from Earth. Uh, that would have definitely been fun to see, because especially because it was supposed to be also a zombie movie, which sounds really interesting to me. I mean, I think that's the movie every most sane people want to do right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we're all like, take us with you. Um, <laughs> kind of like all the people were with Snake in this movie. Take me out. Take me with you. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was from what I remember reading, it was like some kind of virus or like polluted, like pollution outbreak that caused people to mutate into like mindless cannibals. And there were people trying to escape from Earth and Snake was trying to get on a ship and get the hell out of here. <laughs> it was It was technically going to be like, an underlying plot point that was dropped from Escape from New York uh, that they would have carried over into it. The the plot point was uh, essentially that uh, the nerve gas that they had released in the rest of the country. Yes. Uh, was slowly driving people crazy. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, because I and, remember. Uh, and said... I really. Oh, I'm oh. sorry. Go ahead. I, was, I remember him saying he had plans from like soon after escape from New York to do two more. So that makes sense. And I love that it carried forward that like, even though the, that plot point was dropped from the movie, it still existed in the screenplay and I guess the uh, book adaptation. Yeah. So I love that it was, it was something that's like technically in Canon with the movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I, I would love to, to, I would love to have seen the last one, but I, I know now with, Carpenter and Russell being the ages they are, I doubt we'll ever see that. But uh, there has been constant talk of a remake about the, uh, of this movie for the, like the last 15 years. Um, I always forget her name. Do you guys remember the first Resident Evil? Um, uh, the, like, Michelle Rodriguez. Thank you. I was going to say the real badass. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> there was a lot of talk about having her play Snake in a remake. And I always thought that was an interesting concept. I was like, okay, I, I, I'm kind of digging this because I really like her. So. And then it moved to Chris Hemsworth for a while. Yep, I remember that. And now we'll see if it ever actually happens because it's it seems like remakes are kind of going the way of the Buffalo and now we're in requel territory. Yeah, the last, the last I heard, which uh, was then promptly shut down afterwards, uh, was uh, that the rumor that they were doing a prequel with uh, Wyatt Russell as Snake. Oh, and then and then why it was point blank like, nope, never stepping into those shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> well, he's he'll have his hands full in the Thunderbolts movie that's going to come out. And he's in the uh, the new uh, Apple TV Godzilla TV series yes, with, yeah, with yeah. Kurt. Yep, he is. Oh, I didn't know about that. 
Yeah, sure. there's a there's an upcoming uh, Apple TV original series set in the Godzilla MonsterVerse nice. uh, that's starring both Kurt and Wyatt. Oh, that's cool. Well, let's uh, let's jump into the cast since we've we've mentioned Kurt Russell multiple times. We'll just say uh, Snake Plissken is played by Kurt Russell, and once again, I don't feel like we need to go through his credits, but mention a couple: The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, Death Proof, Bone Tomahawk, The Hateful Eight. He's in so much good stuff, and he's always, always good. <laughs> like I've never seen a Kurt Russell role where I'm like, "You're crap." <laughs> Every even, single movie he's in, he's awesome. Even if the movie is crap, he's great in it. Well, like, yeah. Oh, okay, the movie Soldier isn't that great. He's great, and he doesn't say anything. <laughs> like he barely says a word in that film, and he's good. But I, yeah, I, I, it, Kurt Russell is, is, is another Arnold Schwarzenegger. I always enjoy him in everything I watch. Um, it's not have, a tumor. It's not a tumor. <laughs> uh, then we have Hawk played by Lee Van Cleef. Uh, he, we would obviously know from the good, the bad and the ugly, the octagon Gunsmoke, the rifleman, the twilight zone. He's in a lot of stuff, a lot of Western television. Uh, then we have uh, cabbie played by Ernest Borgnine who we would know from Willard, The Poseidon Adventure, Adventure The Black Hole, that Disney movie that still scars me. Um, <laughs> Airwolf, Murder, She Wrote, and most recently, Castle Rock. And we have The President, played by Donald Pleasance. Uh, or Pleasance. Uh, he's in Halloween 1 through 6, Dracula, Monster Club, Alone in the Dark, Frankenstein's Great Aunt Tilly, which I'd love to get on the show one of these days, um, and Prince of Darkness. Then we have The Duke, played by Isaac Hayes. But we would know from the A-Team, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, uh, Great Tales from the Crypt episode, Revenge is Nuts, which uh, about blind people being mistreated and then they get back on their uh, their their landlord, which is pretty awesome. It's actually a interesting episode taken from the original film. So very cool stuff. Um, and then he's in, uh, uh, he obviously, South Park. We would know him as Chef. And Return to Sleepaway Camp, where he plays the cook. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have Harold Brain Hellman, played by Harry Dean Stanton, uh, who we saw on this very show on Alien. I was in The Godfather 2, Christine, Red Dawn, Pretty in Pink, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, and The Green Mile. Then Maggie, we have Adrian Barbobot. <laughs> with chainsaws for hands. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we already saw her on the show a couple times in both Creepshow and Swamp Thing. She's also in The Fog, which we will get on here one day. Cannonball Run, The Twilight Zone, and Murder, She Wrote. Uh, also in the film, I, I didn't write their credits, but we have Tom Atkins playing Remy. We have a bum played by Carmen Philpy, who, uh, if you don't know him, he plays he plays a drunk and a bum in a lot of 80s stuff. But my favorite role of his is he plays the crazy reverend in Halloween 4 who picks up uh, Dr. Loomis and is going on about, you know, he's chasing the apocalypse and he's just drinking while he's driving. <laughs> And Dr. Loomis is just happily drinking this guy's booze with him. <laughs> I love that sequence. And then, of course, we have the great George Buckflower playing the drunk. <laughs> oh, Buckflower. He's he's interesting in every 80s film he's in. But we've seen him on this show twice before with They Live, where he plays the, the homeless guy turncoat, and then uh, <laughs> Sorority Babes and Slimeball Bolarama, where he plays the deaf janitor. And man, he's always funny. But uh, so great cast, really, really good crew. And, and it's it's again, it's the John Carpenter staple, as you guys said at the, at the top. 
But uh, for anyone who hasn't seen this, the basic plot is in 1997, uh, the, U- uh, the U.S. president crashes into Manhattan, which is now a giant maximum security prison. And then they send in Snake Plissken to rescue him. So basically a one-man army. Uh, right off the bat, much like in End of Days, which I complained about last time around, we have three minutes and seven seconds of opening credits. And it's literally just names on a black screen. Far in too class- fucking long. In classic Carpenter font. <laughs> yes. But it's like, dude, three minutes and seven seconds of just names, names, <laughs> names. Like, give us something. Show us a little something while that's happening. But uh, we open with a voiceover, which is Jamie Lee Curtis, uncredited. It says, uh, 1988, the crime rate in the United States rises 400%. The once great city of New York becomes the one maximum security prison for the entire country. A 50-foot containment wall is erected along the New Jersey shoreline, across the Harlem River, and down along the Brooklyn shoreline. It completely surrounds Manhattan Island. All bridges and waterways are mined. The United States police force, like an army, is encamped around the island. There are no guards inside the prison, only prisoners and the worlds that they have made. The rules are simple. Once you go in, you don't come out. Then it says 1997, dot, 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 now. <laughs> so, you know, this is, a, this is one of those future movies that now takes place in our past. Far in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it when they do that, too. They they only set it, like, a few years down the road. Like, this, it's only nine years down the road from when this supposedly happened, so. Um, but a couple things here. Number one, this concept of, like, the uh, the, the island prison, like, the basically Australia. Um, <laughs> this concept is always fertile ground for fun science fiction. Because it, it like there was a, a book that I had read. I'm trying to remember the name of it, where this city was walled off and it was a prison community. And then the government outside tested this gas that turns people into zombies. Um, oh God, it might have, was it called the Bone Shaker? It was some, some weird sci-fi book, but it was freaky as hell because it was people trying to go into the city and there's all these like crazed flesh eaters and they have to like fight their way through to get to this person that's in there and get them out. So very escape from New York, but very fun book. So I've always liked that concept. Um, but <laughs> I love this opening because right after the the uh, the opening monologue happens, we see helicopters kind of going around outside New York, and we see these two poor bastards on a makeshift raft, just paddling in the water. And then they're like, you have 10 seconds to turn around. The guys <laughs> desperately try to turn, and then they just shoot a fucking missile at him and blow him up. <laughs> Every time I see it, I crack up. It's like, dude, that's overkill. Nah, they figured they're, uh, they're turning around. They're heading back. They'll probably try again. Let's kill them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those two hobos are a real threat to national security. Oh, my God. But, uh, that, well, that's the other thing. Carpenter is known for this throughout his films. I mean, we talked about it a lot on They Live. But his his distaste of the government. And, man, when you look at some of his stuff that he talked about in the 80s and compare it to some of the shit that we've seen in the last, you know, eight years or so, it's kind of crazy how on point he was with some of the shit. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, especially when he talks about, like, police and... um 
certain Republican aspects. I'm, I'm not going to make it very political, but damn, it's like, yeah, dude, dude saw shit coming. But yeah, uh, he really did. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little futurist, I guess. But uh, we cut in on Liberty Island security control, where we see Snake Plissken being brought in and to be sent out to New York. Uh, while he's brought in, there's a voiceover giving the option to choose to be terminated and cremated on premises, which cracked me up. I was like, that's fucking bleak. <laughs> like, I was so like, I, you don't want to go to prison? Yeah, okay. We can just, you know, burn you. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just take care of you now. Um, so we, we pan over. We meet Hawk and Remy. The two of them discuss a private airplane that flew in over restricted airspace over Manhattan. Uh, we quickly find out that it's Air Force One and that it was hijacked and they're going to crash it into New York City. Now, this whole thing, the, the, the woman on the, that hijacked the plane, she's going on about like how the government is controlling the workers and the money. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is this is all very bleak and kind of realistic to what we're dealing with. Like, mm, I, don't, yep. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Um, so aboard the airplane, we see, uh, the president has this briefcase with the MacGuffin tape that, that tape will play a role throughout the entire film and some random important documents that, you know, it's just those Hollywood documents where it's just a bunch of scribbles on them. He then handcuffs it to his wrists, puts a tracker on the other wrist, gets into his presidential egg escape pod and jettisons out of the plane. And I loved, I loved that the way he's like paused before he closed the hatch and he was just like. God save me. Yes. And you all. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I really love about uh, Donald's performance in this. It's very understated, but he's a dick. And I love it. Because <laughs> it's like he really only cares about himself. It's true. It's, oh, it's so perfect. So he takes off out of the plane. The cops send in some choppers to find the crashed plane and the open egg. They then meet up with the Duke's general, Romero, which <clears throat> this is another thing that we saw a lot in 80s horror movies where they would name characters after other prominent directors. In this film, we have Romero and Cronenberg. Oh, so, I loved it. <laughs> and I love how Romero looks like a fucking zombie. He's got like the, the dark red circles around his eyes and he just looks all strung out. And it, it's he's somehow inexplicably like a snake porcupine zombie <laughs> he's got the hair shooting way up and he's hissing but he shows them the president's severed finger and says you have 30 seconds to leave or he's dead and they're like well we're ready to talk and he just starts counting down so they have no choice but to leave <clears throat> and uh you know they get back in their helicopters and take off as romero hisses at them <laughs> yeah that's that's where i was just like yeah this is wonderful it, oh, he's fantastic. Uh, so we cut back to the security center where Hawk gets permission from the vice president to try and send in a one-man rescue team. Hawk meets with Snake, where we find out that he's actually a war hero, but robbed the Federal Reserve and was sentenced to life in prison. Now, apparently that footage exists, but I have never seen it. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't even know it existed. Yeah, apparently they they shot it, and even the uh, the co star in the scene that was robbing it with him is credited in the credits. Uh, oh no but shit! I don't know if it's been released or not. I'll have to dig some. Okay, I'd, yeah, I'd be interested to see that if it exists. But that's, uh, that's but, cool. but yeah, apparently it was shot, and it made uh, the full description made it into the novelization as well. Ah, 
See, now this is one of those things I, I really should go back and, and read these these uh, movie novelizations because there's so many 80s movies that do this where it's like there's a novelization of the film and they explain way more in the novel. Yeah, exactly. It drives me a little bit crazy. Yep. I remember back in the day reading some of them, but it was stuff like Ninja Turtles 1 and 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Gremlins, you know. But, hey, um, side note, I still, I, especially because we just lost David Warner, I mm-hmm. still miss the fact that we never got that subplot of Professor Perry as a crank. Oh, dude, me too. I actually just got Caleb to to watch those movies with me recently, and he loved them. Well, we haven't watched part three. I told him we could skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. But the first two, he was he was a fan. Um, But we quickly find out Hawk's plan as he explains the situation to Snake. How the president is trapped in New York City. He wants Snake to go in and get him out within 24 hours, and he'll get a full pardon for all of his crimes. Realistically, Snake has no choice because uh, he's going in one way or another, so he agrees. Now, as a brief side note, if you're taking what you you're the way you're describing this out of context, mm-hmm. you very well could be describing like a GI Joe episode with the names you're giving and the description. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, Hawk and Snake. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Well. And the, the next part is very much G.I. Joe because they set him up with a bunch of gear. And I fucking love this because there's like he's got a Mac 10 with a big ass silencer on it. This huge walkie talkie, a tracking device. Um, they And he has like this little uh, what, did, what did they call it? The weird device with the hidden latch, which I love. They kept pointing out it's got a hidden latch. It's a fucking uh, button on the front of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they were making a big deal out of it because apparently the last one they made didn't have it. Right. <laughs> so it's just like, what? The last one just had an exposed button? What the fuck you, is wrong with you guys? Right. And if you press it, it pings their, their servers for 15 minutes. But my uh, favorite thing... For any, for any Doctor Who fans out there, it's a button. It, you press it and it dings and there's stuff. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite part about all this, though, because this, is, this firmly sets this weapon sequence into the 80s. They give them some tech. They give him a gun and they got fucking ninja stars on the table because, of course, there are ninja stars on the table. I laughed so fucking hard when I saw that, especially because he uses them later. But they tell him how they'll be flying. He'll be flying a glider in and he has to land on top of the World Trade Center. Um, So they explain that he has to get a shot of uh, antitoxin that will stop bacteria and viral growth for 24 hours. And I was like. I mean, he's going into New York City after all. Am I right? (laughs) It's also to protect him against the pirates. Exactly. (laughs) Pirates of the Caribbean. But I I like how Snake, like, okay, this is, I'm going to get into it now, but Snake is like, I don't like needles. And it's like, okay, so you're this badass, but needles scare you. And I love Kurt Russell's Snake voice because he never gets above a whisper. (laughs) The entire time he's like, badasses talk like this. I got to talk like this the whole movie. <laughs> it's just... And I, I get it. He's trying to be Clint Eastwood. Like I've read that in the, in the, in the trivia that he's basing this character on Clint Eastwood, just like he based um, Jack Burton on John Wayne. And I mean, it makes sense if you look at the two characters, but he never, even when he gets excited, his voice never goes above a whisper. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of the few things that bug me. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I kind of love it because it's so over the top. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it's definitely, uh, it definitely makes sense with the rest of the film. But Hawk puts the uh, the timer on his wrist, and uh, we see that it's down to 22 hours. Snake protests, saying that they agreed on 24. This is where Hawk explains that the Hartford Summit meeting will be over in 22 hours. Long story short, the world leaders are at this meeting. The president was on his way there when the plane went down. He needs to get the MacGuffin tape there before the summit ends for plot reasons. It has the secrets of nuclear fusion on it. Because, yes, there's absolutely no other record whatsoever of something that important. It only exists on the MacGuffin tape. Of course it does. <laughs> I mean, that's really ridiculous that that's the premise for this. I love this because we get Dr. Cronenberg. He and of course, sorry, I just have to also interject with, and of course it's on a cassette tape. <laughs> oh, of course. That, that was the, the pinnacle of 80s tech. It could have been on a five-inch floppy. <laughs> <laughs> it's on this giant data reel. <laughs> get it to our giant vacuum computer. But uh, Dr. Cronenberg then injects two small shots into the sides of Snake's neck. Then Hawk explains that they just put two small charges into his veins. The capsules that, uh, that they're in will slowly dissolve over the next 22 hours. I was like, that's really precise. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, they, they, they did a lot of testing back then. I'm apparently. Sure of it. Yeah. On monkeys. <laughs> On random prisoners that they were sending over into New York. Out of 50 monkeys, 47 exploded at 22 hours. <laughs> Pretty much. The other two exploded instantly. <laughs> but they tell him if he's not back with the president in time, they explode, blowing his arteries open. If he's back in time, they neutralize them with x-rays. And I was like, yay, 80s movie tech. <laughs> but Snake threatens to kill Hawk, and Hawk just smiles at him and tells him his ride is waiting. So Snake gets in the glider and is flown in. He makes his way to the World Trade Center and lands precariously atop the towers. That's where uh, where Act One kind of ends. So what do you guys think of this setup so far? I mean, it's like 30 minutes in. That's, that's the other thing that shocked me about this is it takes a while before we get to New York. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Although technically, like this entire beginning is, you know, on I, I guess what on Liberty Island in the detention center. Yes. So that's technically technically New York. New York. <laughs> but I should say before we get into the prison. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I into into New York proper. It's like waiting in the Jersey. It's it's like waiting in the uh, Lincoln Tunnel. You're not in New York yet. You're stuck in traffic. You're going to be there soon, but technically you're already there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I always forget that it it takes that long for the setup. Like and it's not that the setup is bad. Like this is one of the things that I, that I want to say about this is the setup is all interesting. Everything that you're seeing is, is engaging. So like there is at no point was I, I bored being like, okay, come on, get to the bad guys. Like it was interesting the whole ride. Agreed. I wanted to see Isaac Hayes's chocolate salty balls. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's an escape from earth. <laughs> Um, I will say this uh, now th this is in the trivia, but do you, when he's flying in in the glider and we see what looks to be like computer wireframes, do you know how they did that? I did see this, but I'm going to let you you take it because it's interesting as fuck. I thought this was so fucking cool because 
I mean, yeah, it was 81. That type of tech to build even basic wire frames would have been extremely costly. So they had the model city that they spray painted black and just put that like, you know, the day glow tape all around the buildings to create the illusion of that wire frame. And it's funny, if you know that watching it, you can actually see that those are tangible objects and not, you know, a 3D wireframe built by a computer. But prior to reading that, I never knew that and just made the assumption, oh, yeah, it's, it's wireframe. I, I also did. It's, I thought that was so fucking cool. But this reminds me of, like, the thing opening credits that I always talk about in this fucking show. Like, that type of wizardry that special effects artists used in the 80s still impresses the shit out of me. It's like, how do you think of that? You know, they were like, innovative as fuck. They really were. And like for something as simple as, hey, we need a wireframe shot that looks like a computer is rendering this. Oh, yeah, I'll just spray paint this model city. <laughs> like, wait, yeah. what? It's, oh, I love it. I think it's so good. But Especially considering it did exist. Yeah, exactly. Well, because you know what I always thought is like around that same time, I'm sure both of you guys will remember this, that Star Wars game that was out in the arcades where it was basically, oh, yeah. and you, you were fighting like the wireframe TIE fighters and Star Destroyers. It was mm -hmm. all just like simple polygon graphics. And like, you know, in the early 80s, it was like, holy shit, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I always think of that from, um, oh, what's the movie? Uh, Midnight Madness. Do you remember that movie where they, they're all it's Michael J. Fox and a bunch of other people oh, like, yeah. running around the, the city on the scavenger hunt and they have to play that Star Wars game? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm, now I'm dating myself. But anyway, <laughs> so act two, Snake in the Big City. Snake takes out the track, uh, uh, blah, takes out the tracker and makes his way to the streets below looking for the president. And I love how everywhere he goes in the background, we just see these squirrely little bastards running around. Yeah. Like when he's going down the World Trade Center floor by floor, we just see like dudes in the background like whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> I do. I do find it a little hard to believe that like this prison exists, has existed for how many years now? And they haven't haven't taken over the roof of the World Trade Center. Exactly. <laughs> it's a little strange. Movie got to move. Yeah, yeah, plot reasons. But uh, he gets a blip on his tracker and follows it to an old theater. He makes his way inside to find a crazy hobo show where we see a very excited Ernest Borgnine watching. <laughs> <laughs> I love it how everyone's asleep except for Ernest. He's just dancing in his seat. <laughs> hey, it was a very engaging show. Did you hear those lyrics? It was fantastic. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> But he notices Snake and follows him. He's super excited to meet Snake Pliskin, but comments that, I thought you were dead, Snake. This is a running theme. Every single person who meets Snake inside New York is like, but I thought you were dead. <laughs> and like, He's a I don't, zombie. Yeah, right? I'm like, I don't understand why they thought that was such an important running theme, because they really do bring it up every time he's, he meets somebody. Uh, there, there are two reasons. Okay. Uh, one, because it's silly. <laughs> uh, and, you know, a, a snake has nine lives. Ah, yes, I forgot about that. The, <laughs> the old snake nine lives. Uh, but no, seriously, though, um, every everyone that says that to him ends up dead. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. 
I didn't notice that, but yeah, you're right. Yep. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, one thing I also want to comment, a little bit of background info. Uh, so while they're talking, did you guys notice the graffiti on the wall that just said colon? Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yes, I did. It's like prominently behind Snake. It just says colon. Oh, God, that's amazing. <laughs> so Cabby tries to tell Snake not to go into the basement, but Snake ignores him and heads down there anyway. Now, this, okay, I got to comment on this. It's uncomfortable, but I got to comment on it. This is just an 80s-ism. This happened a lot in 80s films. I was actually just talking to my mom, of all people, about this. Um, the way they were with rape scenes in the 80s, was very nonchalant and it's very disturbing. Like when he first goes down, there's a bunch of random druggies like tossing a woman around and tearing her clothes off. And Snake just kind of looks at him and's like, meh, and keeps walking. Yeah, that bothered me a little bit. Yeah, uh, like, I but I also like as as much as obviously that isn't a funny scenario at all. Right. The the slightly over the top depiction of it yeah. uh, did make me chuckle a little bit because it really was just like meh, 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 shove you, boobies. <laughs> it was like they were playing hot potato for a minute. It really was. And then it was just like hot potato, hot potato, hot potato. Here's your boobies. Yeah. <laughs> and but I mean that's the thing, like it was such a, a, a common occurrence in like eighties action movies. Like we're gonna have another movie. Uh, this month, actually, it'll be our next film where they have, uh, 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 unfortunately, they have a rape scene very prominently in the film. Um, and this, I, I don't understand, like, why it was, like, it was such a prevalent trope. Uh, but from, like, the late 70s to, like, 83 or 84, we saw that a ton in, in action movies. And... Maybe it wasn't as jarring back then. I don't know. I, all I know is going back and watching them, it's always jarring. It's always like, yeah. like that's uncomfortable. I so. think the only only movie I can cite, the uh, just off of the top of my head, mm -hmm. where it's it's jarring, but it's also like beyond appropriate for the movie is Evil Dead, because it's also horrific. Like yeah. it's jarring, but appropriately horrific. Yeah. Uh, like the way it should be. Exactly. And I say the, um, there, there's, I mean, there are a few films where it, uh, and I know this is, this is a, a hard topic to discuss, but there are some films where it is necessary for the plot. I don't think it needs to be shown as much like, okay, like something like I spit on your grave last house on the left. The movie is about rape. Like that's the point of the film. Um, especially like Last House on the Left, it's about rape and revenge and how both are horrible things. And you you don't have the same impact without having that in there. That being said, there's a reason I've only ever seen I Spit on Your Grave one time and same thing with Last House on the Left. I've only ever watched them once because that's an extremely difficult topic to to watch, you know? Yeah. So, but I understand that there are, there are, reasons for that in a story and i know plenty of people who you know those those movies are like held up high for them because of personal experiences and, and whatnot uh so i'm not gonna say that that just get rid of that shit i'm not saying that at all 
but I'm just saying it's it's definitely hard to watch. So I that that jar it, it jarred me when I saw that in this movie. I was like, I wasn't expecting it because I forgot about it. And I was like, oh, Jesus, like, OK, snakes just moving on. All right. Oh, look, hobos want to steal his boots. OK, <laughs> it was just very disturbing. And equally, hobos want to steal her boobs. Exactly. But I love it. This is where we we get uh, uh, old the old bum for, or the old reverend from Halloween Four, where he's like, "Nice boots, buddy. Nice boots." <laughs> Some random hobos jump out of the darkness and try to take his boots, and Snake beats the shit out of him and continues on his merry way, where he finds. Is this uh, where you talk about sound effects? Yeah. Oh God, the punching sound effects. I love it. They're so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Every it sounds like someone is open hand slapping a watermelon every time. <laughs> it's it's Kurt Russell's own version of work shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just slapping that melon. But <laughs> the work shit story is funny. <laughs> oh no, I'm just laughing. Just slapping that melon. <laughs> Uh, now, you know, oh. next time you're in a grocery store and you see watermelons, you're going to be tempted to slap it. I'm going to slap, play it like a drum. <laughs> <laughs> slap that melon. But, so he beats up the hobos and continues following the tracker until he finds what he thinks is the president. Now, I got a whole bunch of questions about what the fuck's going on here. Because, Our president! Well, yeah, you see a guy with, like, a jacket over his head. And there's another guy just like hunched over him. And is he punching him? What is he doing? <laughs> He's like grunting. And we see his elbow like, like pulling back and forward repeatedly. He's jerking off his hair. I, yeah. I'm like, what's happening here? I don't understand it. He's but, pulling out his teeth. <laughs> from his abdomen? <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> it was very strange. <laughs> but, but so Snake beats the shit out of the guy that's doing whatever he was doing to what he thinks is the president, pulls back the jacket, and it's old George Buckflower, and he goes, I'm the president. <laughs> <laughs> so George is clearly insane. He sees that he has the track. Which is nothing new. Right. I mean, he's insane in every movie he's in. Um, But, you know, Snake asks him how he got it. He's like, I knew I was the president when I woke up with this on my wrist. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's ridiculous. So Snake calls it in to Hawk, telling him the president's dead. He's somebody's dinner by now. And he's like, but, you know, he's like, I, you know, I found the followed the tracker, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't find the president. And then he puts him on the walkie. And what he started singing the Star Spangled Banner or something. I forgot. Uh, I don't know what the hell he was singing. <laughs> he started he started singing into the walkie. <laughs> Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> So Snake tells him, you know, to get get him out of there. And basically Hawk tells him in no uncertain terms, if he tries to leave, he'll kill him. He has 18 hours to find the president. So Snake has no choice but to keep looking. We now get a genuinely creepy scene where the scavengers who li live underground start coming out looking for food. So Snake is out on the streets again, looking around. And we see this guy like running down the street, like banging a pipe on manholes. And one by one, the manholes start lifting and like creepy raggedy little dudes start crawling out and they're like searching the streets looking for food. 
So Snake ends up hiding in a chock full of nuts uh, where he runs into his wife. And like, no, really, the, the actress Susan Hubley was married to him at the time. <laughs> so he goes in. She explains how uh, she's trapped there because she got stuck. She got stuck outside after dark. So can we can we make the the terrible terrible joke about how she really was chock full of his nuts? <laughs> I should not have started drinking coffee when you said that. <laughs> oh zing! <laughs> but yeah, so she tells him, you know, that uh, you know she because he goes, "Do you live here?" And she's like, "No, I don't live here. I got stuck on the streets after dark." And she t- tells him how it's the end of the month. They're out of food. They're out searching. Um, then, of course, she recognizes him as Snake and goes, yeah, but I thought you were dead. Because, you know, of course. So then the bastards bust up through the floor and just drag her down for food. And he's just like, see ya. <laughs> he does the Randy. Fire! But yeah, he shoots at the floor, shoots at a couple of the guys and starts running. Now, we get this ridiculously awesome chase scene, but it is fucking stupid. Like, it's awesome, <laughs> but it's stupid. I want it set to the Benny Hill music. Me too. That Oh my God, that would have made it so perfect. But so Snake jumps up on like uh, a countertop and kicks out a window. He climbs out the window and up onto a fire escape, climbs up, then breaks into another window. He then kicks open a door, runs out into the hallway, shoots through a wall, jumps through the hole, kicks out another window, climbs out that window, shimmies down a telephone pole, vaults over a wall where he drops his walkie-talkie and it shatters, and then runs out to the street where he meets Cappy. Action. <laughs> it's, but again, it's like, <laughs> it's so badly done. I love when he just shoots a hole in the wall. I laugh <laughs> so fucking hard. <laughs> I was like, that is absolutely the best use for your bullets. But so he gets a gets in the cab with Cabby, who takes out a Molotov cocktail. He's like, oh, you don't want to be out, out here on the streets after dark, Snake. I normally don't come this way, Snake. But, you know, Snake, I'm glad I did, Snake. He says the name Snake like 80 times. Yep. <laughs> he fucking throws the Molotov and scares off the scavengers. So now as they're driving. We find out that Cabby has been driving this very cab for 30 years. So now let's examine this for a second. That means that 21 years he lived in Manhattan before it became a prison. Then nine years after it became a prison, he just, he was there. So did he just stick around as the walls went up? He's like, well, I got a job. I'm going to say. Or was he like, fuck it. I'm going to kill some fool. (laughs) Like, what's his story? He's the only cabbie in town. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the, the impression. I'm very curious, like, how did, what happened to Cappy? He was how- already crazy and driving the cab. Like, he had had his license suspended years ago, but he just kept driving and kept the cab. And they're like, he ain't going anywhere. Just put the walls <laughs> up quick. Come on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but Snake tells Cappy he's looking for the president. And Cappy tells him that the Duke has the president. The Duke of New York, a eh, number one. Which... Always makes me think of Aqua Teen Hunger Force with Meatwad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but Snake tells him that uh, he wants to meet the Duke, and Cabby tells him no one meets the Duke. You meet the Duke once and you die. So he takes him to meet his friend Brain instead. 
<laughs> so we like, we get a lot of backstory here, but we find out that Duke loves Brain because he's the guy who comes up with the gas for the Duke. We also meet Maggie, the Adrian Barbobot, um, who Cabby tells Snake is Brain's main squeeze, and he goes, the Duke gave it a Brain to keep him happy. Like, mm. that's gross. <laughs> like, yeah. That's really gross. And yet she shows some amount of true affection for him. She definitely does, especially at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, and again, once again, she was like, oh, so you're Snake Plissken. I heard you were dead. Because <laughs> everybody does. Snake recognizes Brain as Harold Hellman, and we find out that Brain double-crossed Snake and some of their other teammates. So Snake is none too happy to see him. So we get this bit, bit of back and forth here. Snake explains that he needs to get the president. He has a glider to get them out of there. Uh, Maggie tells Snake that the Duke is taking everyone out soon enough and using the president as leverage. Which Snake, just like I I understand what it is, obviously, but right. just just on its own, like Snake showing up and being like, I have a glider that'll get us out of here. <laughs> exactly. Like, okay, what do you where are you where are we gonna go on this fucking glider? <laughs> and how many people can realistically fit in that thing? Like it's it, and obviously because my brain, when I hear glider, automatically goes to like the thing with the bar. Yeah, the hang glider. <laughs> yep, hang glider. Yep. So and anytime they said glider, it was just like <laughs> snake on a hang glider. He's gonna go wee <laughs> wee. <laughs> exactly. You gotta try out this glider. It's really fucking fun. <laughs> It, it almost got me excited. <laughs> but it had, didn't you hear how much I enjoyed it? I said, <laughs> we. <laughs> but he explains that they only have so much time before the president doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot. So Brain tells him that he knows exactly where the president's being held. Um, and, and though he doesn't fully believe Snake that they have limited time, Maggie convinces him that, uh, you know, maybe Snake is being honest and helps him, you know, and agree and gets Brain to help Snake uh, in exchange for getting them out of New York. <laughs> so we also find out here that Brain has a map of the 69th Street Bridge showing where all the mines are. And that's how they planned to get out with the Duke. Um, a guy who made it across mapped out all the mines, but then was shot dead by the guards. <laughs> Which kind of cracked me up. He's like, I just pictured this guy being like, I made it. Oh, lucky day. And then blam. Oh, damn it. So poor guy. So the group head out and they hear the Duke approaching. I love it because Cabby goes, he's like, that's the Duke's engine. Everybody knows that. No one crosses the Duke. And then he just fucking takes off. He's like, peace, bitches. So Snake and the others hide and watch as the Duke and his entourage roll up on Brain's place. The Duke's car is wonderfully absurd. Like, first of all, it's it's a lowrider. Like, it does the whole, like, hydraulic lift and all that. And he's got chandeliers, like, mounted to the front of it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm getting that done this weekend. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. I love it. I have earrings that look like that. <laughs> so we find out that the Duke is there for the map that Brain has. Snake tells him they need to get to the president while he's distracted, and Brain tells him that the president is across town and they have no wheels, so the deal is off. So Snake realizes they gotta get him some wheels. I fucking love this part. 
He just sneaks up quietly behind two guys in like a Mad Max station wagon, beats the fuck out of him that no one else hears, gets in the car, drives away. Again, it's right in front of everybody, (laughs) drives down the street, picks up Brain and Maggie, and they take off. And I swear there was someone in the background just being like, hey, you. (laughs) I was like, they're all just standing outside of Brain's place, which is literally across the street. How did no one see this? Uh, And I love the point in the the chase where he literally like just backs up through a blockade of other cars. Oh, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got a note on that. Like, so we get this fantastic scene. Because Brain directs Snake to go down Broadway, much to Maggie's dislike. The street is just lined with crazies, hucking bricks and random shit at him. And I, I won't lie, the entire time he was going down the street, I was just like, I think of fucking Broadway. <laughs> what did you say, Maurice? There was like arrows sticking out of his car and everything. Oh, like they were shooting flaming arrows at him and shit. But I love the one guy that just jumps on the hood and rolls around. It, yeah. it reminded me of the cow making crop circles in Invader Zim. Just like, nah, 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 <laughs> rolling back and forth. Oh, my God. So he gets thrown off the car. Eventually, they get to the barricade of broken cars that, that you were just talking about, Josh. He He turns around and just backs through, like, a barricade of cars, like, three cars deep. Like, there ain't no fucking way a station wagon had that power. And it just, like, he just backs up perfect hole through it. Right. <laughs> it's like, that, that, they, they fly away a, like they're cardboard. That was the Snake Plissken power. <laughs> it was, that's the power of a true station wagon. That's the power <laughs> of a snake. <laughs> it, it's my Mad Max grocery getter. Hiss. <laughs> So they make their way to the train station where the president is being held. They see the Duke and company coming around the front and realize they have about five minutes to get in and get the president. Brain and Maggie distract the guards while Snake sneaks inside. Snake takes out the guard, the guards with a chokehold and a ninja star, but takes an arrow to the knee in the process. (laughs) He then gets the president and they sneak out only to be caught by Duke's men. And again, we get more of that lovely stock, like punching sound effects. The Duke finds out that uh, that it's Snake Plissken, and of course, I heard you were dead. Uh, Brain convinces him that they need him alive, so he knocks Snake out, and they take him prisoner. There's one thing I, I have to comment here on Isaac Hayes playing the Duke. He does this eye twitch thing that is wonderfully creepy. Like, he keeps, like, twitching his left eye, like, just staring straight ahead, but his eye keeps twitching. And The children done drove him too far. <laughs> it's It's so off-putting, but really creepy. I love it. So, back at the security station, we see Hawk has choppers out scanning for Snake and the President, but they're turning up nothing. They're down to 12 hours, and and things are beginning to look bleak. End of Act 2. What did you guys think? I enjoyed it. Lots of silly action. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Man, that chase sequence, that was something special, though. That Mm -hmm. really was. Yep. I love the, the the scavengers like that. That whole sequence, it's fucking creepy. It's it's genuinely creepy. Like there's a bunch of fucking cannibals coming up. They're they're chuds <laughs> coming up and from I, the sewers. I love the introduction of Harry Dean Stanton just being like, "Don't call me Harold." 
exactly. Like he's just so meek and mild with it. Don't call me Harold. I don't like it. <laughs> I also love uh, Donald Pleasance here, where Snake, like, un- you know, he goes to un- uh, undo his restraints, and he's like, "Stop shaking." He's like, "I can't." <laughs> he goes, "He's like, we gotta hurry." He goes, "Oh, you're damn right. I'll hurry." And he just gets up and starts running. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's fantastic. And uh, once again, Romero is a creepy motherfucker. When we see the Duke and Romero pop up next to Maggie and Brain, and the Duke is like, he, he looks at Brain, he's like, friend of yours, Brain? He goes, he had a gun on me, Duke. There was nothing I could do. And he goes, mm-hmm, and starts but, to walk away. But <laughs> let's be fair. This was in typical Harry Dean Stanton fashion, so it was just like as droll as possible. Like, he had a gun on me, Duke. There's nothing I could do. that is more accurate (laughs) but like i love how romero just kind of like swings out he doesn't look at brain and maggie he just points back at them and then like slowly stutter walks away it's like what is he doing it's creepy (laughs) but yeah i i love this whole middle scene like it's it's lots of fun action lots of ridiculous over-the-top stock sound effects it's Oh, chef's kiss. Good 80s action. So we start act three with Snake waking up at the Duke's place and we get to see the worst painted on tattoo ever. (laughs) (laughs) He's got this. He's got the freedom cobra painted on his belly. (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. bad. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. I thought that was I thought it was real. Well, apparently, okay, so did you guys read in the trivia the whole Snake Plissken thing? Like, where the no, name came from? I, I, re- I read a lot of it, but I don't think I read that part. Oh, I, heard, I heard that it came from a real person that they knew. Yeah, I'm trying to see if I can... If I can yeah, the name Snake Plissken was actually taken from a real person. Uh, when writing the screenplay, John Carpenter struggled over assigning a memorable name to his main character. A friend of a friend suggested using the name of someone he knew in high school who he described as a sort of tough guy who bore a large snake tattoo on his abdomen. His last name was Pliskin and went by the name Snake. <laughs> Carpenter said anyone with a snake tattooed on them, or uh, 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 tattooed on them in any place, that's my kind of hero. <laughs> <laughs> I freaking lost it when I read that. Oh, man. Yeah, that's pretty wonderful. Oh, it's fantastic. So... We, we see him wake up, we hear gunshots, and we pan out to see the president chained to the wall while the Duke is taking pot shots at him with Snake's gun. Every time he fires, the crowd behind him is like, ooh, yeah, <laughs> like every gunshot. And there's the one woman just sitting behind the Duke, petting the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I definitely noted that, too. It was just like, is she petting him? <laughs> she totally was. <laughs> And I love how he was using his boot to aim. Like he was resting the gun on his boot. <laughs> so so just as a brief aside, because I totally forgot to add in, add it in at some point earlier. Mm-hmm. So we've got the Swedish chef, a snake Pliskin. Uh, Hulk is uh, Kermit, obviously. Oh, yeah. Cabby's going to be Scooter. Because, <laughs> you know, the whole time he'd just be like, come on, Chief. Yep. Let's go, Chief. I got all these tapes, Chief. Let's take a listen. <laughs> uh, the president it would obviously be Sam Eagle. Oh yeah. Uh, the Duke would be Rolf, no question. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Girl in chock full of nuts is Janice. <laughs> oh, hey, you're snake. Bra- uh, brain, brain is Bunsen Honeydew. Oh, of course. Maggie is Piggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just for fun, let's say uh, uh, Tom Atkins is uh, Beaker. See, I was going to say Romero. Romero is Beaker. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Romero is Beaker. Because of I the was... hair and the, and the looks. See, I was actually going to go the uh, like go the more obvious direction and make him Uncle Deadly, but no, I, I like Beaker as Romero. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch this movie. <laughs> like I, I, for some reason, as obvious it was, like, as obvious as it was, bleh, I just pictured like Uncle Deadly walking up and being like, "Come back, and we'll kill him. Try to land again, and we'll kill him." <laughs> 30, 29, 28. But I like it even better with like Beaker showing up and just being like, and then showing a severed <laughs> finger. <laughs> and, and, and Kermit just being like, oh, what's that, Beaker? Uh, anybody understand what he's saying? Holds out the finger. Oh, we'd better go. <laughs> oh, I want to watch this. <laughs> But so the the Duke is shooting at the president. Brain tries to convince the Duke that there's a time limit on the president and to not kill Snake because they might need him. Duke calls bullshit and tells Brain to go fetch the map for the bridge. And then he goes, what did I teach you? (laughs) Because the president goes, you are the Duke of New York. Number one. He goes, I can't hear. He goes, you are the Duke of New York. Number one. (laughs) Which absolutely had shades of, there are four lights! <laughs> 17 I, years I watched that boy. In my, in my head. I, <laughs> in my head, I really was just like, now ask him how many lights there are. Now ask him. <laughs> oh my God. So the Duke shoots the briefcase open and the tape, the MacGuffin tape and some papers fall out. Romero slowly walks up pockets the tape. I love it how he holds the tape up to his ear like it's going to play music. (laughs) (laughs) What's on this tape? Uh, I can't tell. (laughs) He puts it in his pocket and walks away. Then some guards come over. They unshackle the president and they take him away. And they don't even they don't even fucking check what the papers are. No, they just just walk away. (laughs) So we cut to some choppers flying into Central Park being waved down by a band of prisoners. When they land, the prisoners scatter, and the guards find the president's briefcase. They grab it and go. Meanwhile, Brain figures out where Snake's glider is, that it has to be on top of the World Trade Center, because it had to land somewhere high so he could take off again. I love how long that takes him, too. (laughs) He's like, it couldn't land in Central Park. There's too many trees. It couldn't land over here. He couldn't take off again. And He's like, it's got to be somewhere high. Huh. World Trade Center. (laughs) But... So he decides he's going to go there and steal the the glider. So back to the security building, we see Hawk opening the briefcase and he reads a note. Amnesty for all prisoners in New York City in exchange for the president. 69th Street Bridge tomorrow, 12 noon. No bullshit or he's dead. They (laughs) (laughs) They then pull out Pliskin's night vision goggles that have some nails driven through the eyes of it. And they figure Snake must be dead. So we see groups of cops gearing up and getting on the choppers. The time is down to an hour and 56 minutes. 
Hawk tries with no luck to contact Snake. Back to Snake at the Duke's place, he's forced to fight in a gladiator match against a big burly motherfucker with some wicked pointy eyebrows and crazy mutton chops. <laughs> like, that dude's eyebrows were intense. <laughs> it's bone saw. It really is. Oh, I love the baseball bat sword fight, though. Is they get baseball bats ready? and just start. Bone saw is ready. See, <laughs> he, he reminded me of Zangief. Yeah, he definitely yeah. had a Zangief style. To it. it was like it, it also reminded me of Bluto from the uh, '80s Popeye movie. <laughs> <laughs> but he's large. <laughs> that song is so filthy. <laughs> like that movie. Let me tell you, as a kid, I don't think I properly appreciated it. As an adult, I fucking <laughs> love that movie. <laughs> like, it is a very underrated <laughs> film. Oh my god. But he's large. <laughs> oh, olive oil, you size queen. Oh dear. <laughs> but meanwhile, Brain and Maggie go, go to see the president. Uh, Brain convinces Romero that the president has cyanide capsules hidden in his clothing and the Duke wants him or wa- wants them so the, that uh, the president can't kill himself before tomorrow. So we go in and we see that Donald Pleasance has this blonde wig on, <laughs> which apparently was his idea. Like he said that they, they should have put a wig on him. I think he just wanted to dress up like in a long blonde wig. Yeah, I think at some point he saw the footage of like the theater performance and he was just like, I'd like to wear a wig, please. <laughs> I want to wear a wig, too. And, and, you know, Carpenter's just sitting there like, have you been drinking, Donald? I haven't been drinking. I want to wear a wig. <laughs> Why do you smell like wig? I want to wear a wig! <laughs> you are a number one Duke of New York! <laughs> I want to be a number one, and I need a blonde wig to do it. <laughs> oh, I miss that man. <laughs> but... Eventually, Romero kind of realizes that Brain shouldn't be there. He's like, eh, no, you shouldn't be here, Brain. He goes to grab him, and Brain just stabs him in the fucking gut. And Romero's death is fucking hilarious. Because he screams. He's like, ah! So he just, like, <laughs> leads back slowly like a vampire. <laughs> exactly. Now picturing Beaker do that. Um, oh, I forgot to mention one thing here. When he gets there, he's wearing Cabby's hat. So Romero has Cabby's hat, like, sitting atop his massive, like, shock of hair. And um, Brain asks him, he's like, where'd you get the hat? He goes, Cabby, what, what's it to you? So, which is going to play a role in a minute. So he once he kills uh, Romero, Maggie pulls out a gun and shoots the other guards. They then get the president out of there. So back at the arena, we see Snake sees one of the guards wearing his tracker he continues to fight the big brute, eventually killing him with a spiked baseball bat to the back of the skull, winning over the crowd. Snake grabs the guard, activates the tracker, alerting Hawk and the others that he's still alive. Meanwhile, the Duke is informed of Brain's double cross, so he and his army go looking for Brain. And I love this because they all just leave Snake in the in the arena, and he gra- he takes the time to grab his shirt and hobble away. And, like, and oh. by, by the way, all of the Duke's henchmen would be the rest of the electric mayhem. Oh, of course. <laughs> because just because of the way they are dressed in the movie. Right. I love it because Snake's like, oh, I got to cover up this horrible tattoo. <laughs> he just takes off with his shirt. 
So Snake heads over to the World Trade Center where he finds Brain, Maggie, and the President in a firefight with some crazies at the top of the World Trade Center. Uh, the crazies throw the glider over the edge of the building. So there goes their, their ticket out of there. I still don't know how all of them plan to, to ride it out, but, you know. So they fight off the crazies and go to escape. Snake is ready to take Brain's car and the map and le- and just, you know, leave via the bridge and say, you know, fuck Brain and Maggie. Um, but he finds out the MacGuffin tape is gone. Brain tells him that he knows exactly where it is, so Snake has no option to, but to trust him. They get to their car, but it's a trap. <laughs> the, the Duke and his men have them surrounded. There was a guy hiding where the engine should be. Like they took the time to remove the engine and put a henchman in there. I I really picture him just like sitting in there being like, I do good, Duke. I do good. I was just I was laughing so hard because I'm like, why didn't they just kind of have him pop up from behind the car? Like, no, they took the time to be like, remove the engine. Now you, Billy, get in there. Take your crossbow. Pop out when they least expect it. And then Isaac Hayes shows up and he's just like, hey there, children. <laughs> I'm A number one, Duke of New York. <laughs> so I love it because Snake shoots some random equipment that's in front of the Duke. It Was that like a gas pump? Was it a still? What the fuck was it? It was just something with steam coming out of it. You know what it was? A plot device. Exactly. So he shoots the plot device. But it's like, so steam and smoke comes billowing out and the rest of them beat feet out of there. They're like, whoop, 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 and they take off. Yep. Uh, yep. It's a big steaming plot device. <laughs> Outside, they run into Cabby and they take off in his cab. Duke and the others chase after them. Cabby also just so happens to have the MacGuffin tape. He traded his hat to, to Romero for the MacGuffin tape. So that they make their way toward the bridge. Brain tries to direct Snake to avoid the mines, but eventually they hit one and the car is blown clean in half. I fucking love how ridiculous that is. Perfectly in half. Like, right down the center, back seat separated from the front seat. It's so absurd and wonderful. And of course, all of them are good, except Cabby, because he no longer serves a purpose in the movie, so Ernest Borgnine is dead. (laughs) so duke is hot on their trail like what happened to all of his men it's just now it's just duke in his in his chandelier car (laughs) oh they right off the bat they were just like uh duke duke's lost it we're we're just gonna sit here (laughs) yeah exactly we're gonna pick a pick a new leader you know rock paper scissors for it yeah it's it's funny because you see the whole crowd chasing them and then it's just the Duke. <laughs> like they're like, yeah, let's go get him. You keep, keep going, Duke. Keep going. Okay. Let's fucking go home. You know, <laughs> it's like they slowly backed away. You go first. We'll meet you out there. <laughs> exactly. They're like, he's going over the mine bridge. Fuck that. So while he's, you know, driving across the bridge, he's blowing up mines left and right. The group gets out of the blown in half taxi and runs on foot. Brain is telling them which way to go, and eventually he runs the wrong way and is blown the fuck up. Snake tries to convince Maggie to come with him and the president, but she stays with Brain and to make a last stand trying to kill the Duke. And then her hands transform into weapons so she can gun down the Duke. (laughs) She's the Adrian Barbobot. (laughs) I wonder how many people listening to this show actually get that reference, because I I make it every time she's on... (laughs) Every movie we cover, Adrian Barbeau. I mentioned the Adrian Barbeau bot. <laughs> oh, Hedge wants you, to be a tiger bot. 
That's true. If you didn't watch early Adult Swim, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, <laughs> so I love it because she's just shooting at the Duke and he's driving straight at her in the chandelier mobile. And he just rams right into her. And like, it's brutal. He fucking takes her out in a car with her. And so he gets out of the car and we just see she's laying there dead like. Bleh. Now, did you see the, see the fun Easter egg about that? No. Okay, so, and and this is apparently uh, verified by both uh, Carpenter and J.J. Abrams. Oh. Uh, J.J. Abrams was 15 years old when this came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was at an early test screening. And when Carpenter was asking for feedback, he suggested that they might want to add a shot of Maggie after Gar hits her to make it clear that she's dead. Oh, wow. And they did the pickup shot in Carpenter's garage with his car. No shit. I did. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so it's J.J. Uh, Abrams that uh, made the suggestion of adding dead Adrian Barbeau to the movie. He was like, remember that character, Maggie? <laughs> oh, I remember. <laughs> Gave her some member berries. <laughs> so I love this, though, because like, yeah, so uh, Snake and the president take off on foot and then the Duke chases after him on foot. And I love how the landmines are no longer a problem now that Brain's dead. It's like he was the one that kept talking about him. So there was a problem. And then they, then he died and they're just running on foot on the bridge like there's no more landmines. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they 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 uh, deactivated when he died. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they get to the wall. And they get the president to safety. Like, they, they hoist him up with a winch. And then the Duke runs up and starts shooting at Snake. So Snake has to run and hide. And the, the Duke is, like, trying to find, you know, the, the guards up on the wall. He shoots a couple of them. Snake jumps out, beats the crap out of the Duke, starts to make his way over the wall. The Duke gets up, grabs the gun, and goes to shoot Snake. But the president pops up on the top of the wall with a gun, Shoots the fuck out of the Duke while screaming, "You're the Duke, you're number one, you're number one." <laughs> <laughs> but this also shows what a dick the president is because he, the, the winch is pulling up Snake, and he he stops it to distract <laughs> so he, the Duke. Yep, he's like, "Ah, you're gonna be bait for me for a second. Let me line up a shot." <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, the president's a dick. So. Snake gets over the wall. He has less than a minute to neutralize the bombs in his neck. Hawk makes him hand over the tape before he'll let Cronenberg neutralize him. He hands over the tape. Cronenberg uses the x-rays with two seconds to spare. I like that they made the conscious decision to not go with the Hollywood cliche of one second. They were like, "Uh, let's make it two. (laughs) One is too predictable. Let's go with two. So we see the president getting cleaned up, ready to go on the air. Snake goes up to him and tries to explain a lot of people died trying to get him out of there. And he wants to know what he thinks about that. The president very nonchalantly is like, oh, I'd I'd like to thank them all for their sacrifice. And, you know, I'm going to be on the air in two minutes. And he just smiles. I'm like, you fucking dick. (laughs) So Snake walks away and Hawk goes, so you're going to kill me now? And I love his response. He goes, I'm too tired. Maybe later. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's perfect <laughs> so Hawk tells him he has a job for him when he's all done resting 
And, you know, Snake uh, it, you know, basically tells me he's not interested and leaves. Um, <laughs> president goes on the air to talk about the summit, saying that while he can't be there, he would like to present this in hopes uh, that our great nations will learn to live in peace. He then pops in the MacGuffin tape and it plays a jaunty big band jingle from Cabby's tape collection. <laughs> Again, Donald Pleasance is such a great actor. His face, when that music hits... He's, his his face stays the same for just like two beats and then he slowly turns his eyes and looks down and his entire expression drops it it's it's so well done i love it yeah you know it really is masterful oh it so is and then we cut to snake walking away smoking a cigarette tearing the macguffin tape apart fade to black credits the end so final thoughts what do you guys think about this Man, I I really can't wait to to for the point where you're able to cover eventually like Escape from L.A. and then uh, Part Three, Captain Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I shouldn't have taken a slip of my coffee. Because uh, yeah, I mean he he absolutely just plays Captain Ron as like a drunk snake. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, Ca- Captain Ron is another one of those movies that. It's it's way underrated. Like not enough people talk about how fucking funny that movie is. It really is solid. Like again, Kurt Russell does really good in comedic roles. What was the one? Was it Overboard with Goldie Hawn? Yeah, I fucking loved that movie as a kid. Like that was one of my favorite Kurt Russell films when I was growing up. Well, and, and I mean, not to mention the fact that like both of them are are just perfect examples of comedic gold. You've got one where you've got Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn, and a bunch of kids on a houseboat. Mm-hmm. And the other one, you've got Kurt Russell and Martin Short on a boat. <laughs> yep. That is comedy gold in itself right there. <laughs> so, oh, such good movies. But so overall, you guys uh, still fans of this film after watching it critically? Oh, yeah. I, I definitely am. I, I definitely, you know... I knew there were going to be cracks because oh, yeah. of how long it had been. But uh, you know, I, I was genuinely surprised at how many of them I was able to just hand wave and be like, ah, it's just the time. Which, you yeah. know, all of which were very true. You know, I think yeah. that's something we've seen a lot on this show where we, we've talked about this before, where when you watch a movie critically, even if it's something that you absolutely love and you can objectively look at the parts that are wrong with it, there are some forgivenesses because of when the films are made, because again, there's going to be uh, societal differences. There's going to be trends that are different, you know, and it just makes sense that you, you kind of have to forgive those moments because otherwise it doesn't make sense. You know, you can't, you can't compare it to modern movies, you know, that couldn't exist back then. Yeah. What were you going to say, Maurice? I thought maybe watching it, watching it critically, I'd find a lot, to complain about, but there wasn't really much very minor. Yeah. Honestly, this is something I'm kind of bummed. I know they showed this early on at terrors. This is something I would love to see on the big screen. Cause I actually missed both uh, this and escape from LA. I know we were, we were teenagers when escape from LA came out. I never saw it in the theater. I, I saw it after it came out on video and um, I, I would love to see this with a crowd uh, in the theater. I think it would be a lot of fun. Honestly, I think yeah. any 
any Kurt Russell action film <laughs> with a crowd would be fun. Mm-hmm. But uh, so a little little bit of trivia here. There's there's actually a ton on IMDb, but I just grabbed a couple. Uh, we mentioned a few of them, like Jamie Lee Curtis being the voiceover uncredited and all that. Uh, the thing with the the wireframes. But Kurt Russell has stated that this is one of his favorite films um, and that Snake Plissken is one of his favorite characters that he's ever played. Which I think is funny because, he, like I said, he just kind of whispers the entire movie. <laughs> um, originally, Carpenter wrote the film between uh, 1974 and 1976, uh, 1976 as a reaction to the Watergate scandal. No studio wanted to make it because they deemed it was too dark and violent. That changed after the success of Halloween in 1978. Um, the other thing I found funny is the manhole covers in this film were made out of wood because the real ones were way too heavy for the actors to move. <laughs> so they, were like, they made a bunch of wooden ones. Um, this, this, is, this is funny. Kurt Russell kept all of his costumes from the film and was very pleased that 17 years later, when Escape from L.A. came out, he was able to he was able to fit into them still, even though Carpenter <laughs> changed the costume for the sequel. <laughs> he was like, oh, man. <laughs> now, because it's IMDb, I had to find the bullshit. I'm going to call bullshit on this. I want to see if you guys agree. There's, a, there's a, a note here that says one night while shooting on location in St. Louis, Kurt Russell in costume encountered some local thugs. He had unwittingly traveled into their territory, but they were suitably intimidated by his appearance and didn't give him any trouble. <laughs> I call bullshit on that. I believe it. That's <laughs> that sounds like something that sounds like a story Kurt Russell would tell like in, in a bar. exactly it's kind of like oh god i want to say it's on it's in the terminator trivia or there was something about arnold um in full terminator makeup i want to say it was terminator one where he had like the the jacked up arm and the jacked up eye and he went out to eat and still had the makeup on and people were freaking out and i'm like first of all like okay i know i've only been on a trauma set but you weren't allowed to fucking leave the set with any prosthetics on. Like yeah. they take them off and put them away so they can be used again for the next day. So anytime I read something like that, I'm like, I highly doubt that a higher budget film would allow an actor to leave with the prosthetic still on. I don't think that's true. Um, any, for any video game fans out there, uh, Hideo Kojima has has basically referred to this movie frequently as as uh, influencing his work on the Metal Gear series. So if anyone has ever played, you know, especially Metal Gear for the first PlayStation, um, Solid Snake is basically Snake Plissken, and um, in the se- in the sequel, uh, Metal Gear Two: Sons of Liberty, and it came out in two thousand one, Snake uses the alias of Plissken to hide his identity throughout the game. So big influence on that. Yeah, I loved that play in those games. Oh, God, yeah. Th- those games were really fun. At least the first two. Uh, and part three frustrated me. <laughs> it's fun. I don't, think I, ever, I don't think I ever played part three. I could be wrong, though. I, I played... I didn't go all the way through it. I played part three for a while. I never played part four. And then I bought... I think it was five. I think that's the most recent one. 
Um, cause it was one of those like 70% off sales on the PlayStation network for like four 99. I'm like, yeah, what the hell <laughs> it's, it's yeah. five bucks. Let me see. Um, this, uh, apparently Kurt Russell added the eye patch to snake, like the last second before shooting, like it wasn't in the script. It, he, his character didn't have an eye patch. He decided to try it on and like approached Carpenter with it. And Carpenter liked it so much. He was like, yeah, do it. <laughs> so, which I believe, cause there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a trivia out there with Carpenter films where his actors come to him like, Hey, I want to do this. And he's like, cool, do it. <laughs> like he's pretty open with his actors. Yep. And then last but not least, I found this very amusing. The name Snake Plissken was changed to Hyena for the Italian release and Cobra for South Korea. So, uh, which makes his terrible tattoo even funnier. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I want to see the Italian version where he's like, I'm Hyena. <laughs> this just sounds funny. It reminds me of Italian Spider-Man, if you remember that. <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Oh, Lord. But anywho, so before we uh, we get out of here, we should go over our social media. Uh, for anyone not following us, we are The Boogeyman's Closet on both Facebook and Instagram. And Maurice handles our Twitter. What is that good, sir? At Boogeyman's The. Thank you very much. Uh, we do have a Patreon. It's $3 a month for all of our unedited episodes, as well as an exclusive once a month, uh, just a Patreon episode. Anything higher than that will get you art in the mail, chance to pick other episodes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, we are part of the Rad Pantheon Network. Uh, check out radpantheon.com or radpantheon on all the social medias. Uh, we can find other podcasts similar to this one, as, as well as a bunch of artists and musicians doing some really rad stuff. Uh, Josh, I'd like to toss it over to you if you have any plugs you want to give. Uh, yeah, check out my OnlyFans, where I will uh, continue to paint the movie posters of uh, the movies covered here on the Movie Mats Closet podcast onto my penis. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. That's all I'm going to say. Like, Listen, the B-side poster, don't let me, let me, I won't even spoil the surprise for you. Uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, check out... Uh, Check out Count Creepyhead's Saturday Morning Monster Mash podcast, where Mike and Mike and myself all talk about some wonderful toys and a bunch of random goodness. That's uh, it's just all sorts of fun. You can hear it all sorts of places that podcasts are available. And uh, yeah, check it out. Listen to three uh, man children ramble. You can also hear a lot of Josh's uh, Muppet impressions on there. Which is always amusing, as well as uh, our frequent guest, Werner Herzog. <laughs> oh, Lord. But uh, I would never like to escape from New York because they have amazing cupcakes. Oh, don't even get me started on Magnolia. <laughs> oh, good times. But for those of you that like to watch uh, our next movie before we talk about it, uh, the next episode will be 150 Death Wish. It's the old Charles Bronson Death Wish, not the the remake, which was which was good, but this is the the classic. That was it, 1970 something Death Wish. Um, 74, I think. Yeah this this is this this is a tough movie, man. Like there's some there's some violence in there, but it's it's a solid flick. That's so, when Charles Bronson had a Death Wish. Exactly. <laughs> He continued to have that death wish three more times or no, four more times. I forgot there was a part five. Damn. Um, although part four has Michael Parks as the bad guy and it's fucking awesome. Um, 
that's about the only good thing about that movie. But anyway, all right, guys, so we're going to get out of here. So as always, this is Mike saying goodbye. Bye. Bananas! <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, follow us on Instagram at The Boogeyman's Closet, where you can stay up to date with everything we have planned. Thank you.